Chapter 18 The Battle of the Conclave The war between priest and mage of Inquisition and Enlightenment was mostly a war of skirmishes fought in small villages and large city-states, but with only a few pieces on either side. The Battle of the Conclave, however, was the exception to this rule. For many, it's been cited as the greatest victory of the church. Other texts say that this was the beginning of the end of church power. Interestingly enough, both sides of the issue mention a figure named Joda as being the key to the battle. Arkal, Argivian scholar. It has to be the Church of Tau behind this. They even painted their siege machines white, cursed Marisol from the battlements. Before them, on the rolling northern hillside of the citadel, was an army where none should have been. Ethan Marisol had cowed the local tribes and towns years ago, and they should have stayed cowed, unless something came along and stirred things up. Something undoubtedly had. There are at least a thousand troops, slingers, pikemen, shield bearers, and swordsmen, gathered on the plain. No cavalry, but they had somehow hauled up five huge ballistae, which they now used to pepper the towers. One ballista was equipped with incendiaries, and already, one of the stables was now on fire. Some of the servants were even now organizing a bucket brigade. Something had stirred them up, thought Marisol. Something like the church. Barl was at its side. We have the advantage of the outer walls, my lord mage, but they are relatively low, and were not built with an organized defense in mind. I doubt that this is a very organized attack, said Marisol, disparagingly. Still, if the maze work had been completed, stated Barl, but Marisol stopped him with an icy glare. Fear is a better deterrent than stone, said the Lord High Mage. Once we have smashed them, this rabble will never darken our walls again. This is no mere rabble, said Barl. This is an army we are facing. Don't think of it as an army, said Marisol, with a smile. Think of them as a large collection of targets. Already, the flaming ballastate bolts were being answered by fireballs and lightning bolts from the red mages and with high winds from the blue. Already, the ragged weeds from the ruined mazework were trailing out great vines, and humped, mishappened things were oozing out of the swamps. The mystical bolts cut a wide swath through the pikemen, and the line seemed to waver. Already, a group of five mages were airborne, circling to cut off their retreat. In the front line, one large warrior was dressed in white, rallying the troops. No, Marshall corrected himself. That warrior was a priest, or rather, a priestess. She seemed to glow with her own radiance in the dying light of the sun. As he watched, a flaming bolt arched from the citadel's ramparts and caught her directly in the side. She did not wince or stagger from the attack, but continued to bell orders. That was the first surprise. There were those among them with magical protection, and they might have the power as well. Marisol frowned. The second surprise was the presence of archers. A line of shield bearers dropped their protective screen to reveal bowmen behind them and as the flying mages near, they let off a thick, arrowed volley. Three wizards of the five dropped from the sky, and the surviving pair beat a hasty retreat back to the citadel. A cry went up from the besiegers. Marisol's frown deepened. Then came the third surprise, as the entire army gave up a cry and charged the walls. Madness, said Barl. Holy madness, said Marisol, the frown becoming a scowl. The units brought ladders with them and they leaned them along the northern walls. There were more of them 
than the distracted servants and mages could handle. The field at the base of the walls was littered with the bodies of townsfolk, but more were climbing all the time. Meanwhile, a large knot of troops, led by the woman in the white robes, was circling toward the main gates that faced the mountains. All manner of magical bolts, flaming daggers, and solid shards of ice rained down on them, only to shatter or extinguish themselves before they arrived at their targets. That one does have protection, said Marisol. Barl, get some units down. But the Lord High Mage realized he was speaking to no one, as the artificer had already left to join the battle. Marisol heard a resounding crack behind him and looked down to see that the main gates of the keep were gone. Not open, but vanished entirely, spirited away by a miracle of the church. The units, bunched tightly around the figure in brilliant white, surged through the opening. The door guards were scattered in their wake, straws carried away by the powerful wind. The church had breached the conclave of mages. Can you walk? asked Joda. He channeled the power of the plains into his own wound and watched as the bloody tear in his flesh closed up. Seema nodded and hauled herself to her feet. You've learned a few things since I last saw you. Joda nodded. Some things I wish I hadn't learned as well. Seema stepped, staggered for a moment, and leaned against Joda. He muttered a few words and pulled the mana from his memories, and she steadied. Thanks, she said. Don't worry about it, he replied. Above them, there was another boom. What's that? Nothing that I know about, said Seema. But I think we should take our opportunities where we can. We have to leave while the leaving is good. Seema took two steps toward the gate, then turned. Are you coming? Joda looked at her for a moment, then shook his head. I was before. I can't now. There's something I have to do. You have to save yourself, said Seema. These are not nice people here. Exactly, responded Joda. There's a prisoner in the basement. I think he's the reason I was brought here. I have to free him. Free him? sputtered Seema. He was almost sure she was going to stomp her foot in rage. Instead, she said, This is like before? With the church prisoners? Yes, said Joda. And I'm not going to win this one, said Seema. Joda thought for a moment, then carefully shook his head. Then let's not waste any time arguing. We better get going. There was the sound of feet running overhead, and the distant sounds of screams. Because I don't think things are going to get any easier. The church forces spread out as soon as they broke through the main gates, units scattering in every direction. The suddenness of the attack ruptured the conclave's defenses. Those mages who were caught by surprise were overwhelmed, unable to use their abilities before being swarmed with loyal, church-fearing townsfolk. Some wizards fled entirely in the face of the attack, running for the few boats on the island side of the citadel. Those who reacted quickly enough to have some form of defense managed to first halt their assailants' charge, then to destroy the townsfolk. The walls were scorched with magical energy, and the tapestries along the main hall were already smoldering from the battle. Sister Betsy, not needing any eyes to see the evil in her foes, let a squad down one of the opulent hallways. As her force passed, it paused only to tear down the wall hangings and paintings and tip over the sculptures. At the end of the hall was a single man carrying a crossbow. Despite his small size, he had the aura of being a large man. The sight of the weapon brought the small squad up short, 
and they clustered around the sister. The sister sniffed the air. I sense no magic about you, she said. I have none, said the short figure. Then turn on your masters, said Sister Betsy, and beg Tao for forgiveness. I think not, said the short figure with the crossbow. Beneath her bandaged eyes, the sister smiled a gap-toothed grin. You are only one. We are many. You can only shoot one of us. She raised a thin arm to signal the attack. The crossbow twanked four times in quick succession. Sister Betsy's midsection disappeared in a shower of blood and flesh. Her squad of loyal followers hesitated, looking down at their bisected leader. Magic crossbow, said the short figure, raising it a second time. Boo! The remnants of the squad fled, shrieking in the opposite direction. Barl set down the empty crossbow, the one that a student had built, and walked over to Sister Betsy's torso. He kicked over the top half and pulled off her mask. Beneath the rag were sightless masses of scar tissue. I can only shoot one of you, Barl said. So I damn better shoot the right one. The battle had spiraled into a hundred smaller battles throughout the citadel. Miniature maelstroms of destruction that ebbed and flowed through the halls. Here, a group of pipemen had skewered a mage against the wall, and they laughed as they twisted their thick spear points into his guts. Then another group of similar pikemen stood, turned to stone, as a wave-like nature mages moved among them, whacking off pieces at random with a hammer, giggling as she worked. In one hall, the carpet ran red with mage blood and green with unknown ichor. In another, a squad ran in fear from some dark cloud with hell-red eyes. There were fires scattered everywhere. The thatched roof of the stables, the tapestries along the main hall. Through the chaos moved Sima and Joda, aware only of the rumors of war. There was blood on the carpet, scorch marks on the walls, the occasional dead or transformed body. In the distance, there was the sound of blades crashing on each other, then silence as sudden as the shutting of a door. Joda led and Sima followed, gathering her strength as they moved on. They climbed up forever, then down a long hallway. Joda paused at a small wooden door along one hallway. Something there? Sima asked. Nothing I need, said Joda, grimly, and pressed on. They moved to the back of the hall, to a dead-end alcove with a stained glass window. Night had fallen, but flames on the parapets showed through the glass. Several of the panels had been broken out, and something large had been heaved out where Marshall's face, depicted in the glass, had been. Joda began slapping at the wall to the left of the window. Secret door? Sima asked. Somewhere, said Joda. Something behind the wall clicked, and the door swung inward. Something tall and hunched, dressed in black tatters, loomed behind it. The thing carried a rune-carved blade, glowing blue. Sima stepped forward, spell ready at the front of her mind. Joda held up a hand. Hold, he said. This one is a friendly. I think. Sima looked at the figure, tall, hunched, and wrapped in black garb, its face a mystery. As she watched, the figure turned and began down the steps. Joda stepped forward, and Sima put a hand on his shoulder. Before we go any further, she said, reaching into her blouse. I believe this is yours. She produced the mirror from within the blouse. Joda frowned at the mirror. You saved it, and not me. 
he said at last. In the storm. Sima took a deep breath, then said, I know. I thought you could take care of yourself. And that was because? Joda raised his voice in a question. Because I thought you were capable enough, grumbled Sima. That's all? And Vaska taught you well, said Sima. And you have more potential than any other mage I've met. And yes, that was meant as a compliment. Anything else? One more thing, said Joda calmly. Sima sighed deeply. And there is more than one correct way to cast a spell. And you can breathe any way you want. And you aren't a dunderhead. You're a competent spellcaster in your own right. And I should treat you as such. That's why I had to come after you. And why you had me worried when we fought each other in the arena. Happy now? Happy enough, said Joda. And you had me worried back there too. Good thing you kept the mirror on you. Good thing for both of us, said Sima. Now, let's go. Joda clutched the mirror, and they stepped into the darkness of the passageway. Joda and Sima traveled through the darkness led by the glowing sword of the Ragman. Once, they passed an area that reached with a salty tang, and another with the floor vibrated. After a few minutes, Sima could no longer determine how far they had descended or how far they were from their goal. Then she heard the screaming, loud inhuman shrieks that seemed to rise and fall with the same rhythm as the machines. They stepped through the doorway and onto the edge of a pit. Suspended over the pit was a glowing cage. Within it, the emaciated form of a man screamed and pitched itself from one side to another. The very bars of the cage glowed with an inhuman brilliance which traveled up the chains that held the cage and disappeared into the darkness. The figure screamed and threw himself against the bars. They flashed as he struck them and he bounced away, only for the bars to flash again, where he struck on the other side of the cage. The sounds that the figure made were inhuman, no more than a keening, as the bars lit up around him. The ragman stepped to one side. That's who you want to free? said Sima. Joda nodded. He doesn't seem to be too... Sima searched for the right word. Stable at the moment. He said that Marisol has been draining his power over the years. Perhaps... With the battle above, that drain has increased. Perhaps, said Sima. I don't think it's a good time to let him out. I don't know of a better time, said Joda. He sat down near the edge of the pit. How, said Sima. Same way we broke you out of your chains, said Joda. By passing a wedge of infinite thinness between the seams of the bars. He's been bouncing around a lot. Can you do it? said Sima. I have to, I'm afraid, said Joda. Sima stared into the darkness of the pit. Then let me help you. She stood behind him and pressed her fingertips to his temples. As she did so, she caught a whiff of freshly mown wheat. Joda could smell the sea now and feel her power join in. Slowly, a small glow appeared around the edge of one of the bars. It flickered for a moment, then dimmed, then gained in strength. The rocking of the cage abated as the glowing point became a line and then slowly etched its way around the perimeter of the cage. It's going to work, muttered Sima. It's going to work. The figure in the cage screamed and slammed against the side Joda was working on. Joda shuddered and was thrown from his perch, knocking Sima back in the process. She lost contact and felt the mana, the memories, 
drawing away as she did so. The figure screamed and slammed into the cage again. Then a third time. It didn't, started Joda, but the third time, the cage fell apart. It disintegrated, its bars falling away like an overturned silverware cabinet. The chains were slack, and the top and bottom collapsed in on themselves. The cage and its contents plummeted in the darkness below. The screaming figure fell with the twisted wreckage. He was lost to view immediately, but his screams diminished only slightly. No, said Joda, as the screaming became a distant wail. I didn't mean it to happen this way. And the scream appeared again, first as a small echo, and then increasing in volume with every moment, with each second growing louder than before. A small mode of light appeared at the bottom of the pit, and as it rose, it grew hotter and brighter. It flashed sunburst white, flame red, crystal green, lightning blue, and a black so intent that it cast shadows in the remaining darkness. Suddenly, it was even with them. It was a ball of fire with a human face, the face of the figure in the cage. It hovered over the abyss, its face twisted in a mad parody of humanity. Seema started to say, This doesn't... Treacherous mages, die for your sins, shouted the figure and a long, almost skeletal arm appeared from the ever-changing ball of magical energy. The ragman moved forward then, lurching from his watchpost and staggering between the pair of mages and the flaming figure. He had his sword raised, as if to ward off a blow. Ith's magical bolt struck the ragman and coursed through his body, lightning dancing and arcing at every joint. The rune-covered sword began to melt under the energies, and the ragman shuddered, then sagged, and finally collapsed to the ground. Simo went to his side, but Joda only watched as the transformed figure of Ith rose up through the chamber, laughing insanely and shouting threats. The flaming form disappeared as it struck the roof of the chamber, and thunder rolled down toward them, followed by pieces of the ceiling. Most of the debris fell into the central pit, and Joda didn't wait to hear it strike bottom. Joda turned and looked at Sima. She was kneeling beside the fallen ragman. Water beaded at the corners of her eyes, and for the first time that Joda had known her, she seemed confused and unsure of herself. The ragman lay in a twisted pose, and both his legs and one arm had been shaken loose from his body. He's dead, she said. He saved our lives, and he's dead. Joda nodded. He said something before he died, she added. Joda looked at her, blinking. The ragman had never spoken before. Finally, he managed. What did he say? Save Ith, said Sima, swallowing hard. He said, save Ith. She shook her head. Ith killed him, and he said... Her voice died out as she spoke. Joda grabbed her by the shoulder, and she pulled away from the fallen body with its melted sword. He guided her back to the secret passageway as more of the chamber's roof began to fall around them. 